right, right here is a good job, engineer. How many of you have ever ridden a train? <laughs> You've ridden a train? All right. Would you like to ride the train with me? All right, come right here. All right, you just get right there in the back. <clears throat> Sir, would you ride the train with me? All right. You want to sit in the front or the back? Sit right here, all right. And then dolphins, we need somebody from the dolphins. Maybe that'll bring us, maybe that'll bring us some good luck, all right? You ready? All right. We're ready, engineer. <laughs> Thanks, son. You guys gotta go like this. Choo choo. All right. Nice smooth ride. All right. Good job. Wasn't that fun? All right. Now, I do want to, before they run off, I do. There's a great book. You know, we're in this series. We're talking about uh, being naked and not afraid. Myglasshouse.com. Anyways, there's a great book by Patrick Lencioni. He is a Christ follower, but this is a business book. He's written a ton of them, sold millions of copies. It's called Getting Naked, and it's about being vulnerable at work and how uh, the impact that it has on your coworkers and especially if, uh, those that you manage and you lead. So it's a, a, a really, really cool book. And I wanted to give you guys, for riding the train, a free copy. All you got to do is go to the bookstore. Oh, whoops, I'm sorry. And they will give you that copy. Let's give it up one more time to our fine folks. Sorry about that. All right, I do receive tips. All right. Uh, again, how many of you have ridden a train? Let me see your hand. Where do you guys ride the train? Every service, there's like hundreds of people that have ridden trains. And I, I don't know, where, is there a train down here? Oh, I need to ride it. Uh, been here for 17 years. Anyways, we've ridden two trains in our lives. One of the trains was in um, New York. We went to, uh, what's the capital of New York? Albany. Albany. Yeah, there was somebody from New York. It's, I say Albany. I'm from Perigold, Arkansas. But he said Albany. And uh, anyways, we went from New York City. I was speaking in the capital, and we rode a train two hours. Snowed. We were sitting by the window. Watching the snow fall, it was, uh, it was quite incredible. The other time is, Stephanie and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary uh, a few years ago. A few years ago, we're working on 30 now. Um, but uh, we went to Europe, our, and we, uh, first time, Stephanie and I got to go together, and we went from London to Paris, right? I mean, does it get any more romantic than that? Those are only two trains that we rode, and most of the time when you ride a train, you go from point A to point B. Me and my guest went from the back to the front, right? We went from point A to point B. And I think a lot of times, well, I think we work that way. Let me ask you a question this way. Why do you work? You ever thought about that? Why do you go to work? And I need your help. We're going to take a little poll. So if you pull out your phone, all right, go ahead, pull out your phone. Don't be rebellious. I know everything inside of you says he told me to. I'm not going to. But... Go ahead and pull it out. Most of you have it out anyways, looking at scripture through the teaching, I'm sure. But go to our app, okay? You can go to our app. If you haven't downloaded it, you ought to. There's lots of cool things on there. And then click trivia. There's going to be one question. All right? One question. And it's going to be a multiple choice question. Why do you work? And then we're going to see in just a moment a live report of why potential church at the 
what service is 1035, why we go to work, okay? So take a moment, like I said, go to the app, download the app, and uh, if you have, don't have it, it's for Android and iOS, I believe, fill it out. They're going to give us a little uh, trivia music while you're doing that. Yeah. What show was that from? Jeopardy. It's amazing Jeopardy's still on, right? I feel smart just when I watch it. Why do you work? All right, if you've already made your choice, hold your phone up, all right? Kind of have a phone. Hold it up high. Now, why aren't the rest of you guys participating? Come on, it's no fun. I know you can got a phone, and I know it's a smartphone. All right, pull it out and just go to the trivia and click it in. All right, give you just a couple more seconds. I don't want anybody to miss out on getting to participate in this incredible poll. Let's see why the potential church, Cooper City Campus, 1035 service, why is it that you guys go to work? Wow, 78% go to provide for your family. That's quite a few people. Seven or 10% go to pay debt. 7% to be rich one day. Ooh, and then 3% to fund your Starbucks obsession. Look, I mean, we give it away free here. You don't have to go to work, okay? And then what is the last one? To kill time. I think there's better ways to kill time than to go to work. Wouldn't you agree? Now, here's, here's what I want us to talk about this weekend. We're going to get authentic. We're going to get naked. We're going to talk about work because I think work is a much more powerful part of our life than we realize. Like I said, I want my goal, this is my goal, tell you up front, is that you're going to think about work differently. After you leave, you and I tend to think of the work train as getting on at point A and riding it to point B. In other words, point B is um, getting paid on the weekend, right? So I go to work all week so I can get paid on Friday so I can have fun on the weekend. Or maybe it's to buy a new pair of shoes or to move into a different home. Or maybe it's to get a promotion. I'm going into work and I'm working so that I can make money, so that I can start my own business. Whatever it is, we tend to think of work as I am working towards something. I'm going over there. I want to change the way that we think about it. I, 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 not because I think we ought to, but because I think that's what the scripture teaches. You're going to be surprised today to discover just how much the Bible talks about work. Now, the reason it does is because the average person spends over 50% of their lifetime um, at work. Rather than thinking of work as a train that goes from point A to point B, I want you to think of work well, like the trains you used to play with when you were a kid. Anybody have a little toy train when they were little? Anybody have a model train as an adult? All right. 
Every train, if you have a model train or if you played with toy train, whether it was plastic or metal, whether it was realistic or Disney, they all had something in common. They all did this. Watch this video. Right? They all went in a circle. Now, it may have been an oval. They may have went over mountains and under bridges, and there may have been little tiny people. But all the trains had a track, and they all went in a circle because it wouldn't be any fun to just go from point A to point B and then be done with it. It'd be a short toy. So they went in circles. I think that's the way God wants us to work. I want you to think about work as not getting from point A to point B. It's that as we are on this work train, right? So we're going, we're not going somewhere. God is doing something in and through us. There are some expressions of worship that happen through work that don't happen in any other way. Work's not about getting to point B. It's about what God does through us as we work. You, you heard people try to describe it like this. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey. But it's about, it's about what God does in that. It's kind of like the steam, you know, a little train. It's going, and then when you go, what's that doing? It's releasing steam. And that is the result of the train moving. And in the same way, our work ought to do that uh, as an act of worship. Sometime, a long time ago, they separated spiritual work and secular work. But the Bible never does that. Now, to get us started, the first thing we need to realize is that <clears throat> work was God's idea. It wasn't the devil's. It was God's, all right? Now, I want to show you that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Look in your outline. Here's what it says. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to what? No, 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 we can do better. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to what? work it and take care of it, to be steward of it. So work was God's idea. From the very beginning, God said, I'm going to make a garden. I'm going to create man. And there are some aspects of man's life that the only way he's going to be able to experience it is for him to work. And so work is God's, <clears throat> is God's idea, idea. So why do we get on the work train? I want to give you three reasons real quick today, all right? Why do we work? What is it about this work train? And here's the first thing. We work because work reveals. Did you know that work reveals uh, aspects of your personality? Work reveals aspects of your character. And the way we know this is because God's work reveals to us who he is. You want to know more like who is God and how, look at his work. Look at the work of his hands. And we know the first place God works is in Genesis chapter 1. For six days the scripture says God works. And then on the seventh day, it's like the train gets lifted off the track, and it gets restored, and it gets refreshed, and then, you know, it's put back on the track, and we begin again for six days. Well, God did the same thing. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, when it's describing in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or you could say in the beginning God worked at creating. That's the work of God. Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is to remember the Sabbath, and here's what it says. It says that God worked for six days and then rested on the Sabbath. 
Now, if you go to Psalm 19, it says this. It's in your outline. It tells us what God's word reveals. It says, the heavens declare, or you could say the heavens reveal the glory of God. And the sky reveals or proclaims the work of his hands. Now, if you read the whole chapter, it'll give more insight into what those things mean. But what I want you to understand is that work reveals aspects of God. And our work reveals aspects of our life. Especially this, our work reveals, and I'm going to talk about this specific area, transformation. Or you could say our salvation. And again, you're like, what? I don't work at a church. How can my work at the place I work reveal my salvation? Well, let, let me show you. Let's look at first Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Colossians 3, 23 says, whatever you do, does that include where you work? It does, doesn't it? Whatever includes wherever you and I might work and whatever we might do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. Work at it with all your heart. Some translations say enthusiastically or with energy, with passion. So whatever it is you do, you and I are to do it with an incredible amount of passion, incredible amount of energy, intentionality, enthusiastically, and with all of our heart. You're like, but Troy, you don't understand. My work is hard. I mean, I, 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 I physically, it's tiring. Emotionally, it's tiring. I, I, I remember... My dad worked a lot. He, he was always gone working, and he did physical labor. He did plumbing and heating and electrician. He opened a sporting goods store. He ran a paper. All, and I remember thinking, you know what? I want to do something different. So my first year, summer, actually, while I was in high school, I got a job. And uh, I got a job at Tim, Tim's Menswear because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to sweat there. You know, it, it, it's not a physical labor type of job. The owner was Tim Martin, and all I had to do is sell pants and shirts and belts and socks and that kind of thing. And one day, though, towards the end of the day, he said, hey, Troy, I got an opportunity for you. You want to make some extra money? Like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. He says, well, we own this little farm. We're going to go fro hay. And I'm like, well, what is that? He said, don't worry, it's extra money. You'll love it. And, and I don't know what you know about hay. I still don't know much about hay. I will tell you what I did is they baled hay, which I guess is just a bunch of grass, and they put it in those square bales, not the round ones, but those square bales. And when you throw hay, basically there's a wagon pulled by a tractor that kind of goes, you know, and you just pick up those square bales of hay and you throw them on the wagon. They're heavy and they're itchy and they're buggy. And it's like 100 degrees in Arkansas, and it was hot, and it was, but you can't tell your boss no, you know, so it's like, okay, and so we did that two or three days a week uh, after work all summer long. So the next year, I thought, you know what, I'm going to do something different. Uh, this summer, I decided I'm going to work with my dad, and my dad went uh, to Tulsa for the summer, and we did plumbing and heating, and he uh, did a lot of plumbing. And we had to set the toilets, and you had to break the concrete, and, and then get the dumaflagey on the thing, and, and uh, you know, just, and there's no air conditioning in these, when you rough out a house, again, I am no contractor, but when you rough out a house, it doesn't have air conditioning. I didn't understand that when I applied to help my dad. Like, dad, when are we going to turn the air on? He said, son, there is no air. And I'm like, 
and I quit, you know, but I worked all summer long. But the next summer I decided, you know what, I'm going to do something different. So I went to work for Sears. Now you may not know what Sears is. It used to be a department store, okay? Um, then they bought, or Kmart bought them. I guess they're both gone. But anyways, I worked at Sears, and I worked in the warehouse, and it didn't have air conditioning either. We did get to drive the little tractors around, but it was hot. The next year, I thought, you know, Steffi and I were married by this time. I had hurt my back. I wasn't playing basketball, and I thought, we're going to do a paper route. Somebody told me you could make good money doing a paper route. And so we did a paper route for the Jonesboro Sun. We'd pick up our papers, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning, something like that. We'd deliver our papers, and then we had a class at 8 a.m., uh, a psychology class. Um, I was there physically. I don't know about mentally. But work can be hard, can it? And some of us have really hard jobs. And, and when you read that, enthusiasts like, I don't you know, Jesus understands that. I mean, think about it. Have you ever thought, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30. He only ministered for about three years, his earthly ministry. What did he do for the other 30? Well, we know that Joseph, his father, was a carpenter. We also know, scholars tell us, that he died when Jesus was in his early teens. And so most scholars believe that Jesus took over the carpentry shop. Can you imagine having a chair by Jesus? You know what I mean? I mean, right? He built things. He was a carpenter. I mean, it would be possible. They knew Jesus' work ethic. They knew whether he kept his word. They knew what kind of work that he did. And scholars tell us that Jesus managed that by, you know, and he took care of the family because his father was dead until his siblings got old enough to take over the carpentry shop. And then Jesus began his earthly ministry. Now, I say that to say that Jesus knows what it's like to go to work. He knows what it's like to deal with le the, the weight and labor and the responsibility and all the things that go along with, with work. What is it that makes work so difficult? Well, it's what happened in Genesis 3. Remember the story? Adam and Eve screwed it up. The one thing they weren't supposed to do, they did. They ate the fruit. God comes down and he says, uh, Adam, there's going to be some trouble. I created work and I want to use work, but guess what? Now there's going to be thorns and thistles. And it's by the sweat of your brow that you'll work. Remember what he told the woman? How many of you have ever had children? He said that childbirth would be difficult. Jesus comes on the scene, though. He's born in a manger. He begins his ministry. Why did Jesus come? He came to redeem the world, to reconcile us to God uh, for eternity, but he came to do more than that. If you read the New Testament, you're going to hear this phrase over and over again, that the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is here. What does that mean? That Jesus came to redeem not just our souls, but he came to redeem the earth. Sin screwed up the earth, and it also screwed up work. Sin screwed up work. It made work difficult. It made childbirth painful. And Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to restore it. And so he's in the process of doing that. If you're a lady, you might say, well, what about childbirth? Is he redeeming it? Yes. It's called an epidural, okay? <laughs> how, how does he redeem work? Well, he bought your contract, right? And you may be subcontracted out to some kind of business or some company, but the scripture we just read said basically what? That you're not working for IBM, you're working for him, you're not working for the dolphins, you're working for him. 
You're not working for Starbucks, you're working for him. Now, he subcontracted you out to Starbucks or Walmart or wherever it is or whatever company it is that you work for. Look what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 6. He's talking about um, sexual intimacy here, but, but the same thing applies to work. He says, he, Jesus, bought you for a price. He redeemed you. So use your body for God's glory. Use your work for God's glory. Now, with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3. We're understanding that Jesus may have subcontracted us out, but he is our ultimate supervisor. It says, servants, do what you're told by your earthly masters. And don't do the minimum that will get, uh, let me read again. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. Do your what? Now let me ask an honest question, a naked question. As you think back on the last week, did you do your best? Did you go to work trying to get from point A to point B? Did you try to get to the weekend to get a paycheck or to get a promotion? Just try, Did you try to go from A to B or did you go to work all week long kind of thinking about the steam or the expression or the revelation of God coming through your life? How, how did you go to work this last week if you're a Christ follower? Did you give your best? He says, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Your, your, your supervisor, your manager, that, that's not your boss. It says God is confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind, always, and he says always, why? Because we would tend to forget this. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is who? Christ, right? And, and everything. In everything, every job, the ultimate master is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be what? Held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover bad work. Now that's pretty challenging or convicting, you might say. God says that if you and I went to the work this last week and we didn't give it our best, we weren't energetic, we weren't passionate, we weren't engaged, we weren't um, involved in a passionate and energetic way, God says, you know what, I'm going to hold you responsible for that. Because work is not a curse from the enemy, work is my creation and order so the, that I would be revealed to the world. And you didn't do that this week. And I will hold you responsible for that. Well, that's quite challenging, especially when you think about all that we desire to experience from God and all that we're asking God for. And you, again, you might say, well, Troy, but I work for the devil, right? I mean, who I work for is evil. Some of you do. You work for evil people. They stab people in the back. They don't pay you what you're worth. They, they harass you sexually. I mean, some of you really do. You work in a hostile environment. You work for somebody who is evil. Does that, is that an off-ramp? Is that a, a reason to, to work differently? Well, let's see. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 5 servants now this translation says servants the word is slave okay and it's and and it means slave it means someone who is forced labor is what it means servants now and, and understand that this scripture is not condoning slavery if you read scripture you know this is written by paul 
okay? Remember who Paul is. Paul had a personal experience with God, called into the ministry, started many of the churches you read about, and he wrote most of the books that you read, okay? This is a bigwig in Scripture. Paul had a bigger impact on Christianity than anybody other than Jesus. And so he's right, and he doesn't write condoning Scripture any more than he's writing condoning an evil boss or supervisor. The Bible condemns all of those things, but he is trying to teach us a principle. He says, servants respectfully obey your earthly masters. So if you ask me and you say, Troy, well, I work for somebody evil. Do, am I still supposed to be energetic? Am I still supposed to be, you know, with a sense of passion? Well, that's what the scripture says respectfully obey your earthly masters your leaders your supervisors your managers whoever to lead you but always it says you're, you're you're respectfully obeying that person who's leading you but always with an eye to obeying the real master and who is the real master who do we really serve christ so even though that person is evil, I am respectful. Why? Because ultimately Christ is my leader, my supervisor. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily. Don't just get by. Don't just go, isn't that what he's saying? Just don't get on the work train and go from point A to point B. Don't just work to pay off your house. Don't just work to, to get to the weekend. Don't just work so that you can take a vacation. Don't just work so that you can get nicer shoes. He says, no, it's more than that. Don't do it to just get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants. We could say this, revealing Christ. You see what he's saying? He's saying that the average person can't do what God's calling us to do. Only someone transformed can. So when you and I do what God is calling us to do, the world says, what? I don't understand. And so we are, that steam is revealing Christ. He says in work, <laughs> well, let's just read this out loud. You ready? And work with, oh, we can do much better than that. Here we go. And work with, mm, one more time. And work with, yeah, and work with a smile. You know what? I think we need to practice this. Some of us more than others. Let's smile. Let me see you smile. Come on. I know everything. You can always determine a rebellious heart because when anytime we're asked to do something, what does our skin want? It's smile now look at the person beside you and smile if you're single it's a great way to get a date <laughs> come on smile isn't that what the scripture says and work with a smile on your face let me ask you when you get naked did you do that this week did I do that this week was I going with a smile on my face it says, work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, no matter how evil they are, no matter how hostile the environment, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master. What? Regardless whether you're a slave or free. In other words, no matter what position you hold, no matter what company you work for, what is God saying? Is that there is no person, no company, no place that can stand between you and the destiny God has for you. 
If God wants to bless you, which his word says he does, guess what he's going to do? He's going to bless you. There's nobody that can keep that from happening. That's his promise right there. Therefore, therefore, you and I know something that your co-worker doesn't know. Yes, the boss may be an idiot, and the workplace may be hostile, and the company may be going bankrupt, but my God owns every cattle on every hillside, and he has promised that he is going to give me a raise. He's going to take care of me. So I'm smiling. I've got a sense of enthusiasm and a sense of joy. That's what he's calling us to. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you're a slave or free. And then he gives us, we don't have time to talk about this, but he gives a quick word to those of us who might be the boss. He says, masters, it's the same with you. No abuse, please. No threats. You and the people who work for you, you and your servants are both under the same master in heaven. He makes no distinction between you and them. So our work is revealing. Work reveals. It reveals the Christ that lives in us. You say, but, and, and think about it. We haven't talked about reading your Bible at work. It's great if you can, but maybe you work at a place where they won't let you. They, you can't put the Bible on your desk. Maybe you can't invite somebody at your workplace. Maybe you can't share your faith at your workplace. This scripture's not, when Paul's talking about work, he's not talking about any of those things, is he? What's he talking about? He's talking about being a good worker. He's talking about being the first one there and the last one to leave. He's talking about working with a smile on your face. He's talking about getting, not just getting by, but giving it everything that you've got. And when you and I do that, Galatians says that the steam, the worship that is revealed out of us. Look what it says. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the worker, the co-worker, the supervisor, the people you're leading, they're like, man, I, what's different about you? You're not just trying to get from point A to point B. See, again, if you're just trying to get from point A to point B, you're going to have good days and bad days. There are some days when you're going to go forward, and there are some days you're going to go backwards. But if you and I realize that God has called our work, no matter what it is we do, to be a revelation of the transformation that's happened in us day by day, Every day there is this expression of worship. And the more challenging the circumstances, the greater the expression. And so every day there's this opportunity that God is calling us to. Work is so much more than what we experience so many times. And do you see, it doesn't matter what track you're on. It doesn't matter whether you're on the big important, you know, track. Or you're on the track... It, it doesn't seem that it's important to many people. It's not, it's not about that. It's not about whether you wear a suit to work or you wear work boots to work. It's about what kind of steam is being expressed in your life. Now, I wanted to spend most of the time there because I think that's the biggest challenge. But I want us to, to hit these other two. Work not only reveals, work provides. First of all, some of you said this a moment ago, work provides for our families. Again, you might be surprised how often the Bible talks about work. Now, we're going to read this, and I promise this is going to be a little bit challenging, okay? The scripture. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul is talking here again to the church at Thessalonica. The big dude in the Bible, okay? He says, our orders backed up by the master Jesus, are to refuse to have anything to do with those among you who are, what's the next word? Lazy. 
That's the one sin that we all see in others, but never in ourselves, right? I've never had anybody come up to me, Troy, pray for me, I'm so lazy. <laughs> Those who are lazy and refuse to work the way we taught you. So Paul says work is so important that this spiritual man that had impact, a bigger impact on Christianity than any other living person other than Jesus says, I took time out to teach you about work. The way I taught you. Don't permit them, the lazy, to freeload on the rest. We showed you how to pull your weight when we were with you. So get on with it. We didn't sit around on our hands expecting others to take care of us. We tend to live in a culture that does that. We tend to somehow believe it's someone else's responsibility to take care of us. It's our parents' responsibility to take care of us, and it is for a season, but not for a lifetime the government somehow responsibility now you know god created the government the church and the family they both and according to scripture they all have specific purposes i was talking to a person who they were talking about uh filing a uh whatever you file with fema to get some money and they're going to file it on the basis that they had experienced emotional pain as a result of irma and and i i can tell you in no political sense that there's nowhere in the Bible that it says that the government is responsible to take care of your emotional pain financially. It just doesn't, doesn't say that. But we live in a culture that wants others to take care of us. And Paul says that's not the way it's supposed to be. He says, in fact, we worked our fingers to the bone up half the night, moonlighting, so you wouldn't be burdened with taking care of us. And it wasn't because we didn't have the right to your support. Now, Paul was an evangelist. And Paul says in other parts of the scripture, he says that it is the church's responsibility to provide an income or to take care of the evangelist. But Paul says, when we were with you in Thessalonica, we didn't, we didn't want that. And the reason we didn't want that is we wanted to teach you something. That's how important what they, Paul was trying to teach them about work. He says, and it wasn't because we didn't have a right to your support. We did. But we simply wanted to provide an example of diligence, hoping it would be contagious. Hoping that you would see our work ethic and you would uh, take it for yourselves. Verse 10, don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? And even if you don't read the Bible, you've probably heard this before. Many times not in a kind context. But I do want us to understand it and read it out loud together. You ready? Here we go. Paul said, don't you remember the rule we had when we lived with you? Let's all say it together. If you don't work, one more time, if you don't. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like compassion? Now, Paul is, we're going to come back to compassion. How do we take care of those who can't work? He says, and now we're getting reports that a bunch of you lazy good-for-nothings are taking advantage of you. This must not be tolerated. We command them to get to work immediately. No excuses, no arguments, and earn their own keep. Friends, don't slack off doing your duty. So Paul raises the value of work and says, that's how you take care of your family. Work is not just A to B. Work is a way in which we reveal and a way in which we provide. Now, I wrote this in my notes. You, you know what this means. It means that retirement is not a biblical concept. Now, before you stone me, all right, I want you to understand what I'm saying. 
Retirement is not a biblical concept in the sense that you and I work to get from point A to point B so that when we get to B, we can get off the train and live a leisure life. That's not biblical. What we do retire from is we retire from companies. We retire from professions. But what we can't retire from is work. Now, work looks different in different seasons. Sometimes work may be getting up at 8 and, you know, work until 5. There may be other seasons in your life when work is taking care of the grandkids. And work is volunteering at the church. Woo-hoo. We used to have a guy, he worked uh, really hard uh, at Emerson Electric factory. He was tool and die. And he was a farmer. And he just put in incredible hours. And he retired. And, but he didn't retire from work. He came up to the church and he kind of adopted our yard at the church there. In other words, he killed the weed. I mean, he, it was like his little kid. He made it look beautiful. And I got to spend quite a bit of time with him because he was up there for several hours each week. I mean, it was, a, it was work, but it was love. Of course, I was thinking, we got a yard here at Cooper City if any of you would like to adopt it all right get rid of the weeds but work looks different all right it it looks different but you can't retire from work if all you do is get to be and then you're just fishing and golfing and doing those kind of things you're going to miss out because work is not a it's not a destination it's something bigger than that like I said, it looks different, taking care of the elderly or someone who's sick or helping your family. It looks different. And then, let's look at this, get through this. Work provides for others. Work provides for your family, but it, work, uh, it also provides for others. Here's where you see Paul's compassionate side. In verse 28, remember he said, if you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, but what about those who can't work? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 says, If you used to rob, you must stop robbing and start working. Now let me stop there. Most of us don't have a gun in our pocket and are going to stop at the gas station on the way home, okay? He's not just talking about that. He's talking about people who get paid maybe by the hour, um, but come in 15 minutes late or take a long lunch. Or get paid to do a project that doesn't get finished. Or doesn't get finished with excellence. Paul says that's robbing. You're being paid for something you are not doing. And just because you can get away with it doesn't make it right. So he's challenging us. He says stop it. And start working. Do you see how this makes a difference? It's bigger than just morality. It's bigger than just what's right or wrong. If, 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 you're getting, if you're getting by without working, you're missing out on why God created work. And as a believer, there are certain aspects of what God wants you to experience that you're not experiencing. He says, get an on, he's, uh, in order to earn an honest living for yourself and to be able to, what are those next three words? To help the poor. He, the, the message says it this way, do you... Do you, you, did you used to make ends meet by stealing? Well, no more. Get an honest job so that you can help others who can't work. The voice says, if you have been stealing, stop it. Thieves must go to work like everyone else. Work honestly with their hands so that they can share with anyone who has a need. Do you know how God wants to meet the need of those who can't work? <laughs> Through those of us who can. 
there's a blessing in that. And I put this, I'm going to tell you, this will freak you out, a word of warning. It's found in the book of Ezekiel. The prophet is writing to the people of God. He's writing to Jerusalem, and they are screwed up. They have ticked off God. They've been disobedient. And God is telling them what he has done to other nations. He's judged them. And he, one of those nations is Sodom. Maybe you've heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. And here's what he says. He says, Sodom's sins were what? Pride, gluttony, and what's that next one? Laziness. Now, why was Sodom struggling with pride, gluttony, and laziness? Because they were blessed. If you go a little earlier in the text, or in Genesis, Lot chooses to go live in Sodom. Why? Because it was financially blessed. Because they had an incredible crop. God had blessed them. And in their blessing, they had become prideful. In other words, they began to think, we're the ones doing this. It's not that God blessed us, it's that we are incredible. They became prideful, and as a result of their pride, they became gluttonous. It's like, give me more, give me more, whether it be food or materialistic. And then you start to get lazy, and you're like, you know what? You owe it to me. I live here. You owe it to me. And then he's, he's going to refer in a moment to, if you know anything about Sodom, you know they also had an incredible uh, sexuality problem. And this led to that. And now when I read this, you know why it freaks me out? Because it sounds a lot like the country I live in. That's been incredibly blessed. And often results in pride, gluttony, and laziness, and sexual sin. And he says, that's who you are while the poor and the needy suffer outside your door. In other words, you don't have to go looking for them. They're right there. And what does he say? He says... She, um, talking about Sodom, was proud and committed detestable sins. That's the sexual part. So what did God do? God said, I wiped, I wiped them out. As you know, <laughs> he's like, look, Jerusalem, there is no Sodom. Now, it, and God goes on and he says, if I don't bring judgment on you, Jerusalem, I'm going to have to ask for forgiveness to Sodom. That scares me sometimes when I think about what... <clears throat> we might be owed if um, we don't respond to what God's doing. So work reveals, work provides, and then work fulfills. And, and I think this is, you know, satisfaction versus regret. Laziness brings regret. Re isn't regret a horror? Don't you hate regret? <laughs> it's just a horrible emotion, isn't it? Where you look and you think, what might have been? You ever look back on a year? We're about to end 2017. How many of you had plans you didn't accomplish? And it wasn't because something did happen. It's because you just didn't get around to it. I mean, I wonder how, di how different could your life be right now if you would have done what you had planned to do in January? That's regret. You know what a midlife crisis is? I've told you before. Midlife crisis is simply when you get to a point in your life where you don't have enough time to accomplish what you had hoped to do. And so you have regret. Laziness brings about regret. Never getting around brings about regret. Look what the scripture says, Proverbs 20, 24. It says, lazy farmers don't plow. They don't do what they ought to do when they should, like in the winter, and yet they expect a harvest, but there is none. In other words, regret is a result of not doing what we know we ought to do, yet still expecting a good thing to happen. Proverbs chapter 5 describes it so well. He says, you don't want to end your life full of regrets. 
nothing but sin and bones. Saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me? Why did I reject the disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I, have one, I haven't one blessed thing to show for my life. That's called regret. And work is one of the ways in which God brings satisfaction. Work satisfies. Let me show you Psalm 128 verse 1 says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow his ways. You will, verse 2, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. I remember the first time when we, I told you, working in Tulsa with my dad, and he paid me cash. And I just remember how fulfilling it was to, to, to say, I earned this. I earned this with my sweat, I mean, carrying those tools, that's not about all I did, but, you know, I earned it with my hard work, I, I, I earned this. I, this is the fruit of my labor. This is, this, it, there was, it's just a fulfillment in that. It's kind of like mowing the yard. I hated mowing the yard as a kid. I would pretend like I couldn't start it and tell my dad, I'm sorry, it's broken, you know. But the cool thing about mowing a yard is with every, you know, we, we call it mowing the yard. You guys call it cutting the grass. But it, we, you could see that you are making progress. You, you could see there, there, there's a fulfillment of work as you and I. And we see the revelation of God being expressed in the place in which we work. We see the provision of our family. We're able to share with those that are in need. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor and, look what it says, how joyful and, what's the next word? What, this is a better word. It's a happier word than you just read. How, how joyful and what? Who? Who will be? You. Awesome. God says, I want to bless you. And how does he want to bless you? Bless you through your work. See, work is, again, a way in which we move into position to receive God's blessing. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says, observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand and admire. They don't take back seat to anyone. It's a great directions for a promotion right there. And then I just end with Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. This is God after he completes his work week, the end of day six. God looked over everything he had made. It was so good. So very good. This evening, this morning, it was day six. It is my prayer that whenever you go to work the next time and you're tempted to think of it as a destination, I'm just on the work train, working for the weekend, working for a paycheck, working for a promotion, working to impress, working to buy, that the Holy Spirit will just kind of grab your heart and shake you and say, no, your work is much greater than that. What is the steam? What is the expression of your life? your co-workers look at you in amazement because of who God is in you? Would your supervisor say, you know what, I tell you, there's something different about her, there's something different about him. They come in with a smile on their face even on the days when I'm struggling. It says your work, not your worship, 
Not what songs do you have on your CD player if you have an old car, I guess. Not, not what you know, not your Bible sits on your desk. Does your work reveal who God is? Let's bow our heads. Father, work can be incredibly challenging. Some of us work in such toxic places. And yet you have promised in your word that that's not our work. That, that's not who we work for. It's bigger than that. All of us, whether we've worked at the same place for 20 years or if we've worked on multiple tracks, none of that matters in the sense that we're called to something so much greater. I pray. I pray that my life, whether it be factory or an office, whether it be in the care of my kids or grandkids, whatever my work is, may it reveal you. May it provide and may it fulfill. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give God a hand. Would you do that? Awesome.